0: Under Roman rule, Athens was the intellectual epicenter. It was deep place where deep thinkers would think deep thoughts. Popular philosophers would spend each and every day debating and discussing, conversing and concluding, what's wise, what's smart? What's right? So, it's easy to understand. The Apostle Paul's great grief, seeing the scene, the place that once was. Plato's place. Socrates' place. Aristotle's place. Now, it appears that, well, Paul would say it this way, I have this grief, I have this distress, I have this burden. For whom? Acts 17 and 16 we read, Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Pause right there, your attention please. What did Paul see? Paul saw such foolishness in a place, in a space, that was traditionally or typically regarded as a place to exercise wisdom, careful thought, consideration. Guys, I'm, uh, I'm surprised quite frankly, that you would be so into something that is not a someone, but as an object inferior to God, and yet it seems you're treating them as God. Now, those who do the deeper dig will discover When the Bible employs the phrase, and we see it, given over to idols, a newer translation, full of idols, that the archaeologists that would discover over 3,000 altars, over 3,000 therefore gods, over 3,000 opportunities to worship. 3,000? That Paul is thinking, this is so wrong. I wish you knew. But what you do is so foolish because an idol? An idol. What is an idol? See that word at the end of that first sentence, 16? Circle it in close by. Webster's Dictionary write, An inferior object worshipped as God. An inferior object worshipped as God. These are man-made. These are man-carved. These are manufactured. And now, man? Well, the very thing He makes, He now chooses to serve? Doesn't make any sense. Oh, keep your place in Acts chapter 17 with me. Psalm 115. We look starting in the third verse and read, But our God is in heaven... He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, they don't see. They have ears, they don't hear. Noses they have, they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't handle. They have feet, but they do not walk. They have tires, but they cannot drive. They have engines, but they cannot start. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. What's that? Well, the practical problem has everything to do with what an idol can't do. You're worshipping something that, please note, cannot save, it cannot serve, and it cannot satisfy. Let's go back. Cannot save. If you make an idol, you worship that idol, and now you're in trouble. Jeremiah cried, ask your idol. In your day of trouble, ask your idol for help. See if your idol saves you. Well, obviously it can't save you, because you're the one who made it. Anything you make is inferior to the maker. Years ago, our very first house, I determined to make a mailbox. So in my garage with skill saw in hand, I manufactured a box that would receive the mail. Now, I made a mini house like our house for the mailbox. It had a roof that was the lid. It had little windows, had a little door. I made a little house. Now, imagine for a moment that you came out to my garage, and upon the completion of that house, I said, what can I do for you, O little house? And I listened to see if it had any instruction for me. And what would you think if whatever I thought it said, I did? That's bizarre. Listen, in this place, that space, there is Aphrodite, an idol, the love God. So some in this place are worshipping the love God, believing that while they worship that love God, they will have better relationships. In that same place, that same space, the God, His name is Nabu. Nabu, He would help you if you were... Well, you're somebody who really needs some help with wisdom. You're not that sharp. You're not that smart. You've got a big business decision. So you're going to worship Nabul and hope that he helps you. Suddenly, there's a little light bulb in your head and you feel smarter than you did before and you make a decision that you believe came from Nabul. Now, if you were worshiping Niger, Niger is somebody who's going to help you if you're at war or if you're out on the hunt. 3,000 of these different idols... 3,000 of these different gods. 3,000 of these different temples. All of them opportunities for you to worship. And Paul looks at him and goes, Guys, what are you doing? It can't save you. And it can't serve you. Serve. I find it fascinating, and every once in a while I reference this fact, that Christianity, the only faith, the only religion, wherein which the author of the command inhabits the body of the follower to assist them in keeping the command. Christian, if you just grab that one fact and begin to yield to the spirit that's in you, you will find greater success in doing the will by allowing him to assist you. That's not true with an idol. No, this idol does not inhabit you to help you. This idol, if it is a spirit, inhabits you to abuse you. So the service is centered upon what the idol gets, not upon what you need. So if somebody says, oh, my idol is. Love God? I need more wisdom. I want to win at war. You worship those? Not going to save you in war. It has no power to do so. Serve you, not going to give you strength on the battlefield. That's absurd. And satisfy you? Well, what ends up happening when you surrender that part of your heart to an idol? You give it your time, you give it your energy, you give it your effort, and after the fact, you discover it failed you. Now, you feel bad. You have regret. But it was in the act of worship. Is that an issue? Absolutely it is. Because in that time, while you worshipped that idol, you gave it your time. You say, Bob, listen, I don't know that there's anyone here worshipping Nabul or Aphrodite or Niger. Well, well, of course they're not. They've changed their names. Their names? Let me tell you something. There are a lot of foreign spirits. There are a lot of evil deities that today are capturing the hearts and minds of many a man and many a woman. Now, what names do they use today? Well, you take your pick. Why? Because they're everywhere. You turn on the tube. You're going to see them. Inviting you into relationship to do what? To spend more of your energy, more of your time, to offer more of your mind, more of your heart, and still not to save you, not to serve, and not to satisfy So God, in His great love for you, has a command. You shall have no other gods before me. If you need love, I want to be the author of that love. Hey, you want to win at war? I'd like to be your strength. Hey, if you're lacking wisdom, come to me and ask. You see, God is being replaced by all of these other lowercase g-gods and we sometimes look on feeling that in some way it's not our place to tell somebody else that something else is in the place that God rightfully owns. Owns? He should. I mean, He made you. He made me. He made you. You'd think that the manufacturer should have power over that that he manufactured. Creator should have authority over creation. So how is it he gives us with the creation a capacity with which to resist him? Why in the world does he do that in the first place? Christian, listen. So that your love toward him could be genuine, authentic, and real. I love the fact that we were not created robotically to worship God. I love the fact that even today when I peek between the side door out and I watch you worship just for a moment and usually it's just for a moment and don't worry, the next time you're worshiping, I'm not always peeking. But I love the fact that some of you are full volume There, worshiping God, hands up, and this is your expression. Some of you, I saw more than one standing, not singing, hands in your pocket. You know you're free to do that. I saw somebody with their arms folded looking like they didn't care at all, and I'm not going to point you out. I'm just going to say, I saw you. (laughs) You weren't singing, your arms were were folded. It's like you didn't want to be here. That's how it looked like. And here's what I thought to myself the minute I saw you. You don't have to. You don't have to worship God. You really don't have to be here. Now, when I say that, I'm not expecting you to get up and leave. What I'm saying is that... And you're saying, No, I do have to be here. My wife's with me. No. What I am saying, and the way that I've illustrated that to you in the past, is this. Imagine for a moment, Grandma's going back up north. It's at the end of her winter here. And now... You as the dad say to your son, Hey, give grandma a big kiss. She won't be back for a few months. And your son says, No! And grandma smiles. Well, it's okay. He doesn't have to. And you look at your son and go, Give her a kiss right now. That's my mother. (laughs) And even with the exhortation that your mom, You go, No! I don't want to kiss her. You give her a kiss right now or you're going to get a good hard swat after she leaves. Okay, I'll kiss her. Let me tell you something. I'll speak on behalf of Grandma. She doesn't want that sloppy kiss, okay? (laughs) Not if you have to be disciplined to do it. Not if you have to be exhorted and rebuked to kiss Grandma. Now, I'm saying that on her behalf. She'll probably still take it. Even if it is a rebellious kiss. But, wouldn't it be wonderful... If your son, without provocation at all, just walked up to Grandma, Grandma, are you going away? No, you're not going away. I will miss you so much. Can I come with you, please? Well, no, you can't. Well, can I hold you and hug you and not let you go for a while? Well, I don't know. Okay. Can I give you a big kiss? Well, give Grandma a big kiss. Now what's happening? Oh, Grandma will never, ever, ever, ever forget that kiss. Why? It came from a heart. That was genuine, that was real, that was just flowing with a real sense of appreciation and value of grandma. I want to say it to you this way you have options today. You do not have to worship God. You want to worship your idols, you can worship your idols. You want to continue to make stuff and bow down to it and give it your time and give it your energy? Fine, you can do that. But Paul is looking on at a group of those who would consider themselves the smartest and the wisest and the best of brains, and he is broken-hearted. The Bible says he's grieved. He's distraught. I can't believe that you guys, especially you guys, with the little extra brain matter would actually look at this thing made of gold and silver, bow down to it and worship it, and treat it like it's God. Ah! And I'll add my ah to his. Why? Because every once in a while, I'll see somebody in the body of Christ and go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, nothing. I know what you're doing. And you know what you're doing. And something has replaced the space that God belongs in. And as you remove him and choose to worship something of inferior or lesser value, I get as grieved as Paul does. So, what do we do when we find that somebody's worshiping an idol? What are you doing? Oh, why Why would you do something like God really loves you and I can't believe you're behaving now? What do we do when we find out even our kids have kind of grabbed onto some kind of music or they find themselves fascinated by some kind of game and you want to pull them away from it? What do you do? What did Paul do? I've got five R-letter words. Move with me to verse 17. Here's where we read. Therefore... He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Here's what you do when you find somebody's worship and idols. Number one, it's there in the text. You reason with them. What do you mean you reason with them? Well, the newer translation, NIV, says you dispute with them. But in your translation, it's a better read because it actually means, listen, to discuss this. You discuss it. And the reason you want to discuss this is these people, and please note, in this context are what the Bible calls God-fearing. They're God-fearing. I will reason with a God-fearing person before I rebuke them. Listen again. I will reason with a God-fearing person before I rebuke them because it may be that they're just making a mistake. There's a difference between making a mistake in your ignorance and honest-to-goodness, heartfelt rebellion. This first group, these Jews, the Gentile worshippers, they're just looking on, they're hanging around, they're up there on Mars Hill, they're listening to the philosophers, wax-wise, and think that they're the sharp, smart ones, and they go, hey, we're just a part of this. And Paul pulls them together and guy, goes, guys, i got to reason with you. And I love reasoning with people. How's that? It's what God does. If you're not familiar with the specific reference, please write it down. Isaiah 1 and 18. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let's reason. He says, though your sins be red as scarlet, I'll make them white as wool. Though they be red as crimson, I'll make them, I'll make them like wool. I, I, I'm in the business of changing your condition. Could you, would you reason with me? Now, I think that's pretty fascinating that God would take the time to reason with His creation. But quite honestly, if you're God-fearing, and just on the ignorant side of the path, you need somebody who will approach you and not rebuke you. How dare you worship an idol? How foolish you worship an idol? Do you know how dumb you are worshiping an idol? No, no, no. Reason with it. Reason with it. Hey, guys, let me ask you a question. That idol serve you? What do you mean, serve you? Well, I see it's got the hands, but I haven't seen them move for the last four years. <laughs> yeah, I know. In fact, last week a hand broke off and I had to put it back on. Be careful what you worship. Hey, that uh, drink, you seem to have to have that every single night just before bedtime. Is that uh, satisfying? If it's satisfied, why do you have to do that? I mean why not do it one time and you don't have to do any oh that doesn't really satisfy? Oh you usually have two. Oh you have three. Why is it that that particular drink doesn't satisfy with one, but it's two and three, and then a year from now it's four and five, and then two years from now you need how much to do what to have your mind go to that drift place where you're not really connected to? And why does that make you behave that way with your family, make you behave that way with your kids? So it's not really serving you, doesn't really satisfy, and it's not saving you, it's actually making you worse, isn't it? Reason. Reason, 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 reason. The word, again, in the original language, di alamegai. It means that I'm going to have the kind of conversation with you that helps you see there's a negative side to what you think is good. That's the reason. And in other words, when I reason with somebody, I'm giving them a reason to get away from what is bad. They don't see that it's bad, but I will shine... Good light on better, so that bad light is on bad. Bob, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read this to you. And I'll be brief because it's just a few sentences. But this is out of the word, Second Kings, chapter 4, starting in verse 38. Listen to this. Elijah returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to the servant, Put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out to the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered it from in a laptop of wild gourds and came in and sliced them into the pot of stew, and they did not know they were there. Now, when it was served to the men to eat, it happened, as they were eating the stew, that they cried out and said, Man of God, there's death in the pot! And they could not eat it. So he said, listen, then bring some flour, or bring some meal. And he put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they might eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Let me tell you something, we Christians have a tendency to find the poison and point it out. That's poison! That's bad! That's no good! Here's what we just understood the prophet did. Let's get the good food and let it overpower the poison. Let's put in a good meal. Let's put in the good flour. Why don't we get rid of the dark by turning on a light? Why don't we get rid of the poison by pouring in what is so holy and so healthy that suddenly somebody's not so interested in what's bad, but they're more interested in what's good. I've illustrated you this in the past. Every once in a while i have a conversation with somebody and it's kind of like their religion has become their little dumb, dumb sucker. It's the only thing they know. It's the only thing they have. It's the only thing they enjoy because it's the only thing they know. You ever seen a dumb, dumb sucker? It's only about the size of a quarter round. It's just candy on a stick. And there they are with their dumb, dumb sucker, and it's whatever they think is right. Has no real relationship to God's word or God's spirit, and there they are in their dumb, dumb sucker. Now here's what you can do. You can walk up and you go, That's dumb, dumb. You know that. What you believe is really dumb, dumb. And you know what they'll do? You call their dumb, 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 dumb? They're going to hang on to it harder. You make fun of my dum-dum. My mama, she believed in dum-dum. My great-grandpa, he believed in dum-dum. My whole family has believed dum-dum. All of our life, we've only believed in dum-dum. Now, here's what I suggest you do. Get one of those zoo pops, the 12-inch ones with all the rainbow <laughs> colors. That's the true, undefiled unchangeable, unfallible Word of God and you just reach out your relationship with Jesus and just start to lick it right in front of those with the dum-dum. Oh, I see you have a dum-dum. Look what I have. And there you are with a 12-inch zoopop. Somebody looks on. where'd you get that? Calvary Chapel. I want one of those. Well you going to have to put down your dum-dum if you want one of these. I'll put my dum-dum down for that. There's a change that happens in the heart of those who you're willing to reason with. Reason? Remember that Isaiah referenced 1 and 18? Well, here's the way that it closes. Would you rather eat the fat of the land and enjoy life? Or would you rather be destroyed by the sword and die? Come, let's reason together. Hmm, let me think. Fat of the land, die by the sword. I'm having a hard time here. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. You want to live? Fat of the land, die. Edge of the sword. Well, let me try and... And the point I've made in the past, I'll make again. Too many people have a hard time reasoning if in fact they've been blinded. And why have they been blinded? Go back with me, pick it up. Verse 18, we read, Acts 17 and 18, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you're bringing some strange things to our ear. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and all the foreigners who were there spent their time doing nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Pause right there, your attention please. Second R, he recognized. What did he recognize? That not everybody was a God-fearer. You know, some people in the crowd were philosophers of the Epicurean sort. Others were stoic of the philosopher type. And when you realize you've got a different crowd, what should happen in your brain? Well, what should happen in your brain is that you then take note that the way you choose to reach that person who's into idols may not be as simple as, hey, take a look at my 12-inch pop No, sometimes you have to understand the heart of where, why they are, where they are. Let me say this as sensitively as I can. Every once in a while, and I love to evangelize, I'll come in contact with somebody who's really, really anti-God. And it throws me off course just a little bit because sometimes there's a hatred there that you have a time struggling with. It's like, dude, I just mentioned his name. What's the issue? But I've found if I could be sensitive enough and keep my mouth closed long enough to just listen, many times their anti-you has to do with an experience where, quite honestly, we could serve the Lord by being much more sympathetic and much more apologetic. I will on occasion say to somebody, you know what? Before I take this conversation any further, I want to, on behalf of God, apologize for the way that that Christian treated you. And here's what I always say. It's kind of like a catchphrase. Jesus never said, follow my disciples. He said, follow me. And I know that you've been burnt or bruised by someone or you've been brought up with a philosophy or a style of thinking that quite honestly has left you this way. So you're not yet a God-fearer. No, as an Epicurean or as a Stoic, you've got a different way of looking at life because you have a different world view. Now, if you didn't know and want to take note of it, Epicureans versus Stoics, I mean, you couldn't have two people groups more on different sides of the coin. Why? Because Stoic, if you've heard the term in the past, Stoic, well, he certainly looks Stoic. These are people who believed. Their philosophy was, emotions you can't trust. So it's best to not have any emotions because you can't trust them. So if the emotion of love is something you have a hard time with because you've been burnt and bruised in a love relationship. It's best to be a Stoic and have no love at all. So if somebody has a light-hearted sense of humor and they make a joke, Stoic person would stand there, listen to the joke and go... And you'd go, what's wrong? Nothing. You didn't laugh. I know. I chose not to laugh. Why? I'm a Stoic. Oh, how sad. <laughs> I don't think it's sad because I'm a Stoic. I don't know, sad. And it's almost like they're on a spaceship, void of any feeling at all. And that's why we're smart. We have risen above feelings and are beyond it. Why are you laughing? Don't. It bothers me. And you're going, dude, you're missing life. You're so stoic, you, you, you can't even like smile or gesture. No tears, no love, no laughter. Wasted time. Stoic. Wow. Now listen, Epicurean, completely the other side. These guys feel like emotions are to play with, to have fun with. And this is the group, if it feels good, do it. Did you eat that? Did you taste it? Oh, you got to taste it. This is the best. This is the best. So here's the stoic, I'm not impressed with food. I don't eat anything that moves my senses. And here's the Epicurean. You gotta add the sauce. Check out the sauce. Taste it. Oh, this is great. Now Paul recognizes that these people are going to be a bit on the different side. And when he hears them talk about Jesus, their pushback to that, to him, he says, Oh, you babbler. Now, You guys that are Epicurean, real fleshly, you need to repent. And you guys that are stoic, get a life. But he doesn't say that, even though they are putting him down. And he recognized they would. If you look at all the one-liner cuts in the context of verse 18 through verse 21, what do they say? Uh, You're bringing strange things to our ears. We have no idea what you mean. You're a babbler. The word for babbler... Is an interesting word. It means literally to be a gossip trifler or a sponger or a loafer. It's like they're they're saying to him, you have no idea what you're talking about. We're supposed to be here discussing new things. And you've got a new thing, but you're just plain weird. This is so odd. We just think that. And it's like, oh, my goodness. If you were Paul. You're Paul. Let's just imagine for a minute you're Paul. And you have this revelation of Jesus. You are now set free from the law. You want to reach people. You find yourself in this space, in this place, where all the deep thinkers live. And now you see them worshipping these idols. You go, oh, i got to reach you guys. And the first thing you do is turn to the god fears and go, hi, guys, I'm going to reason with you. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to worship idols. And then you turn to these Epicureans and these Stoic guys and you go, and you guys, you, what do you mean? You're going to put me down? You know what? Fine. There's two places. Heaven and hell. And you can go to the second one. Fine. He doesn't do that. And I pray to God you don't do it. Here's what I pray to God. I pray to God that all of us have enough spiritual skin that... Is burdened to win someone that when somebody immediately throws one your way, you don't throw it back. That you re- listen. That you realize the lost person is a lost person, and that because they're lost, they need to be found. I see so many Christians with just the slightest little pushback get upset and get bothered and want to just turn. Okay, fine. Well, if that's what you think, fine. You, you, you're gonna. He's gonna judge you. You're gonna burn for all eternity. You know that. You know what hell's like? It's like, stop. You don't need to do that yet. Why? Because they're that blind and they're that bound. Now, there's one other thing I need to touch on until we go to the next place, and that's this. Paul doesn't hear them at their place in space of deep thinking, wise, you know, words, and say, oh, wow, you guys, I, I have my view, you have your view. You're Epicurean, you're Stoic, that's odd, I'm not into that, but you guys are into your thing, I'm into a different thing, but when you guys start to put me down, I'll realize you're just closed, and I'm not going to say anything more. That's not what he does at all. And here's what I want to emphasize, and I hope I say this the right way, because if I say it ever so slightly off, you'll walk away with an attitude that I'm not trying to evoke, in fact, I'm hoping to destroy this attitude. My faith in Jesus Christ and my way of salvation, I believe, is superior to all others. I believe it's superior. I believe that I know for certain I'm going to heaven, and I believe that Jesus is the way there. Now, it's why we send missionaries. It's why I give an opportunity for people to get saved at the end of Bible studies. Why? I believe that the Christian way of living is the superior way of living above all other lifestyles available to man. Now, that's what I believe. Now, I'm burdened for my 20-something brothers and sisters in Christ who are so careful not to offend that they leave people hellbound bound because they feel it's arrogant to tell someone that their position is far superior than somebody else's position. We send missionaries to tribal territories where there's cannibalism, where there is subservient identities between male and female, and where men treat women like animals or less. And when we go into that field, these days, I'm talking to my traders, they're going, you're going to actually tell them Jesus is a better way? And I'm thinking, when did you think for a moment he wasn't? Paul looks at some of the smartest minds on the planet involved in something very embarrassing, idol worship. And when he begins to dialogue with them, they push him back. But he doesn't just take the pushback and go, Oh, since you're not into this, you do your way, I'll do my way. No, his heart begins to break. I don't know the last time your heart broke for somebody who wasn't your faith. But because they're involved in a faith that's a foreign faith or a false faith, you begin to pray for them and ask God to give them deliverance, to give them spiritual sight and to gift them eternal life. I don't know when that happens in you. But listen, gang. If you've let the PC world on the planet convince you that if somebody else believes something different, you should let them be, I think that's damnable. I think that's ungodly. And I think that's the most wicked thing you could do is leave somebody in a faith that has them hellbound. You have a call on your life. It's to be a Christian, and it's to tell people about Jesus. Now... Here's where I think I'll get some pushback. Somebody's going to go, you shouldn't have used the word "damnable." <laughs> you care about what? God let his son Jesus hang on a cross. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. Here's his prayer. If there's any other way, Let this cup be removed. Gang, what Jesus is saying is, Dad, am I really the only way to get to heaven? Now, if God wanted to answer with a different format, with a different model, with a different paradigm, obviously he could have said, Jesus, here's the deal. You're dying for all the Christians. But there's a bunch of other faiths that don't require a blood sacrifice and all those people can get to heaven by just being good enough and following a bunch of rules. You're going to die for Christians but that's just for those people who are going to believe that path. i got a bunch of paths and some of them require no sacrifice at all. Some of them aren't even death and into eternal life. Some of them are systems of reincarnation where you keep on coming back for years. That's not what God... Said, and it's not what we have concluded. Jesus said, if there's any other way, let this cup be removed. And heaven was silent. At least for my listening. Heaven was clear to the Son, and the Son then responded, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. What is your will? That I hang on a cruel cross for those who believe so that they can have the certainty of the kingdom of God. That's very, very clear. It's very specific. And when somebody says to me, Oh, you Christians, you're so narrow. I say, Oh, we Christians are so specific. Narrow is only relative to your opinion. If you want to go to heaven, you say, God, how do I get to heaven? Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Oh, now I know to go to heaven. If you've got an airplane, and then the, the steward always says, just before you take off, they'll tell you what plane you're on and where you're going. Now, why do they say that to you just before it takes off? Because if you're not planning on going there, you shouldn't be on that flight. I want to go to heaven. I know who told me how to get there. I believe him, and I'm on my way. I hope it's really simple. Superior thinking. He's going to tell him the truth. Look what he does in verse 22. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. Now notice he didn't say you're spiritual. He said you're religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing Him, Him I proclaim to you. What did he do? Third R, he related He related. He didn't say, you guys are a bunch of fools worshiping stupid idols. He said, you know what? You guys are religious. You guys are people who want to worship righteously. And here's what I noticed. Out of all 3,000 of these idols, out of all 3,000 of these altars, to make sure you didn't miss any God, you've actually got a blank God. You've got a temple set up to the blank God. The God you don't know and the God you've never understood and the God who you want to make sure is not missing with all the gods you worship. And it's almost like they go, we have the love God, we have the war God, we have the hunt God, we have the wisdom God. Did we miss any? I got an idea, deep philosopher says. Let's put up a temple just for the God we might have missed. And we'll call him the unknown one hey, that's really wise. And quite honestly, I think it's wise. Let's not miss anybody. Let's actually have an IO for the unknown guy, and then we've got him covered. Okay, here's the God to the end. Un- Paul looks at this and goes, you guys so want to do worship right. You want to so not offend any God. You actually got an altar to the unknown one. He said, can I tell you who the unknown one is? Now when I say relate, here's what I'm hoping you understand. Not putting down, not making fun, but actually recognizing the religious side of every man. Every person wants to worship something that's worthy of worship. We just get stuck in the way. So when a Jehovah's Witness knock on my door, here's what I say open the door. Hi, Jehovah's Witness, hi, we're here to tell you and here's what I say many times You know what? I admire your dedication. And here's what I'll tell him. Years ago, when I was still living in Vegas, there was a Jehovah's Witness that came to our church. He wanted to check out what we were doing. And afterwards, he opened his heart and gave his life to Jesus. I know that might offend you when I say that. But then he gave me his satchel, his book, with all the houses he went to on a regular basis. And he checked them off one at a time. He knew people's names. He knew their faiths. You guys, I admire your dedication to come out every single Saturday. But do you know... That in my Christian faith, we have a little different view of how we serve and honor the Lord. And here's what you do. You don't put them down. You build a little bit of a bridge and with that relatability of what they're hoping to do, you tell them what you are doing and pray that you connect. Mormons, when I first understood Mormon doctrine, I used to look forward to Mormons coming to my door just so I'd embarrass them. I mean, I'm telling you how immature I was. Wait a minute, you Mormon guys, the bikes, okay, come on in, come on in, I got some stuff. You really believe this? You believe that? And there they are embarrassed by it. Here's what I've decided to do instead. Knock on the door, open it, Hey, before we go any further, guys, your zeal blows my mind. You spend two years of your life going from city to city to make sure that everyone hears about Joseph Smith and understands the Book of Mormon? My goodness. Now, I have a couple of questions for you. I know your view of Jesus is a little unorthodox when you compare it to my view. Can we discuss who Jesus is? Well, we believe He's this. Well, you know, Christians believe this. Oh, yeah, but we see this in the Book of Mormon. Well, I see this in the Word of God. Yes, but this is what it also says in your Bible. Yes, I know, but it also says this in the Bible. Well, we have a hard time. And listen, I may not win the argument. But I'm not hoping to destroy the person. I'm hoping to poke holes in that person's belief. That's all I'm trying to do. Help them to see there's a difference. Now, here's what I've done. And, And here's what I encourage you to do. Know enough about another man's faith to just declare the differences. Just declare the difference. Hey, you guys know Mormons believe this. Well, you know, Christians believe this. That's different. Oh, yeah, and here's what they'll say. Oh, we know it's different. Well, do you know it's different enough for me to realize I've got to make a choice. I can either choose to believe what you believe or I'll choose to believe what I believe. But listen to this and I'll say it very tactfully. I'll say, both of us can't be right. Can we agree upon that? So if you believe that Jesus is one of many sons, and although He is God's Son, God has other sons, the Bible says that Jesus is God's one and only Son. So Mormons believe that God has many sons. Christians believe that He has one Son. I'm going to be stuck either believing the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine of Covenants, and everything else that any of your prophets have declared, or I'll just find myself believing the Bible. Now, you believe all of those books. I only believe the Bible. I can't believe the Bible and yours. I'm going to have to believe yours and not believe the Bible. Do we agree on that? And many times what you're doing is you're taking a point of reasoning... Because you see that there's this desire to honor God. You take this recognition that they're different from you. Mormons have different doctrines. Jehovah's Witnesses have different doctrines. But at the same time, you're trying to relate to them. Relate. Why? Because they're not on the mission field trying to harm you. They think they're helping you. So you appeal to the common sense between the two saying, hey, I'm really trying to serve the Lord. You trying to serve the Lord? Well, let's look at the differences between how you serve and who your Lord is and how I serve and how my Lord is and then you discuss those differences. Listen, what does He do next? We come closer to a close. Pick it up with me in 24 and read. God... Who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives life, or all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, some of you need to just circle verse 26 and camp there because God is saying a whole lot about where you're at today and what you're doing today to serve them. God is the one that determined you'd be born where you're born. God's the one who predetermined that you would have the hair you have or the lack of it in some of your cases, including mine. The color eyes you have, your height. God's the one who made all these decisions. Now, quite honestly, I'll say it this way. I'm thankful that God had me born where I'm born has me live where I live, and has me do what I do. I'm thankful for that. Here's what I'm thinking. I don't think I'd make a good cowboy. You know what I mean? In other words, if you go, I'd rather be born in cowboy days. I don't want to be born in cowboy days. Even if I think I'd rather be born in the future, maybe we wouldn't walk then. We'd just glide. I don't want to glide. I like walking. So the point I'm making is this. When you really settle the fact that he is the author of all And when it comes to you, He has a perfect plan. The peace that comes from knowing that settles an issue that they're still wrestling with. Why? If you don't know God, you'll always wrestle with your identity, your purpose, and your reason. Once you meet God and know God, the wrestling with your identity, purpose, and reason disappear with the who that you are and His plan for your life and then you can start to celebrate who you are. Look what he says. He says this verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, and just as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Then he says this, verse 29, therefore, since we are not the since we are the offspring of God, we ought not think that the divine nature is gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He's appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He's ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. Come on back your attention, please. What did He do? He reported. He reported. He reported what he knew. He didn't report something he didn't know. He reported what he knew. And I say to you, if you will reason with those, recognize those, relate to those, and report it, gets you telling your story. Paul says, here's what I know about God. And it's based upon Scripture. And here's what I know about God. I know God's sovereign. I know God's Spirit. And I know God saves. Why? Because there was a time he'd overlook foolishness and sin but soon he will not be overlooking it any longer he'll be judging it and i want to spare you the judgment listen christian i believe in a judgment day and i believe that everyone will be accountable to what they knew and if you know what you know and don't tell someone else so they can know what you know you'll be accountable for not telling them Now, I'm not saying that to scare you or stir you. I'm saying that because you're missing a part of your Christianity that to me for years has been one of my greatest joys. I love using my life and using my mouth to tell other people about Jesus because I believe that the end goal is a better being. And when I can tell somebody how to know the Lord and then they know the Lord and then I watch their life change, I get to be a part of the celebration of their life being changed. How can you not want to do that? Or how can you choose not to do that? Well, quite honestly, the only reason you choose not to do that is you don't feel that strongly about your own report. That your report is missing or lacking something. So that you settle with the idea in your mind. Well, here's what I did. I came to that church and I opened my heart. asked Jesus inside. But I'm missing my friends because someone told me I have to say goodbye to them. And there's a party this Friday night and I still wanted to go. But here I am at Bible study trying to figure out whether or not I should go to the party or not. And oh, you miserable, miserable, mediocre status quo in spirit not necessarily a believer pretending to be what you're not. What's that, Bob? Well, you shouldn't have said it that way. No, I did. We will discuss it this weekend, but Jesus asked you to consider the cost before you decided to be one of His followers. You know that. And some of you, you want, you want something from Jesus, but you want some of what the early followers wanted, bread. Bread. You just want your stomachs filled. You want a girlfriend. You want a job. You want friends. But you don't want to lay down your life. You don't want to sacrifice anything. You just want all the perks and privileges of the Christian faith without any sacrifice or surrender. And here's what you're saying. If that's this weekend, I ain't coming. I shouldn't have told you. Now, here's why I believe I should have told you. Because if we'll settle once and for all who belongs to what and why we do what we do, we will be one incredible ministry. Body, because we will not be about ourselves. We will be about Him. And the more we're about Him, the more we're satisfied, because He's not an idol who doesn't serve, and doesn't save, and doesn't satisfy. No, He's God. He saves, He serves, He satisfies. And that's what I want for you. Finally, finally, what does He do? Pick it up with me. Verse 32, we've got to close the chapter. And when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dioconus, the Areopagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with him. Now look at the three positions. You got one group goes, ah, oh, shut up. We don't want to hear what you're talking about. They mock him. We don't, we don't want to know resurrection. There's no resurrection of the dead. We don't want any of that stuff at all. There's another group that says, Later. We find this interesting, but we're not ready to make a decision right now. Later. And there's another group that goes, You know what? This guy's got something. We're going to follow. And they start following. Now, here's the weird thing about it. Right now, all three groups are here. Right here in the building. Right now, listening on the internet. Right now, listen on the radio. Somebody turned me off on the radio just now. They went, ah, oh, shut up. They just now switched me off. And they can't hear me say this. Because I'm already off. Somebody else is reaching over to the mouse. And here's what they're doing. They're watching a show while they're watching me. They're going back and forth. And now they went, bye. See you later. You're going to your show. Bye. It's over. You're not interested in seeing people get saved. You're done. You're saved. You don't care. Oh, bye. Bob, that was harsh. Oh, he decided to stay a little longer to see what I was going to say next about you. Yes, I'm talking about you and you're your favorite subject, so you're going to stay and find out if I talk more about you. Do you guys want to talk about the person who's watching right now on the Internet? You want to talk about him? No, let's not gossip. Do you live close by? I'm not saying anything. I just wanted to know if you live close by. Why are you home? I'm just wondering. Are you sore? Just wondering. Here's what he did the fifth R is he rested. He rested. Paul goes, okay, I'm leaving, bye. Some of you mocked. Some of you want to hear me later. I don't know if you'll hear me later. And some of you are following. And I'm going to rest and just, I know, I know right now I did what I was supposed to do. I know that I saw a bunch of people that were worshiping idols. I didn't close my mouth. I said what I was supposed to say. And you know what? That's all I can do. All I can do is say what I'm supposed to say and I leave the rest of the Holy Spirit. At some point, I have to rest in knowing that what I do is get the gospel out. What he does is make the gospel grow. But I have no power beyond getting the gospel out. And when you can rest like that, the only reason you can rest like that is if you did the thing you're supposed to do. If you didn't think that you're supposed to do, then you're still wrestling. And then maybe you pray a little longer and go, God, I, uh, I don't know that that chapter was that good. And I don't know if my Bible study was that good because the unknown God thing, maybe I should have called the unknown God something. And maybe I have another service to rewrite this. And maybe I'll preach it again another time to some other wise people. Listen, we can always do our best to approve on our witness and on our de- declaration of the gospel and on our sharing of our faith. But here's what my prayer is for you. Have you've never had the joy, and I want to honestly say it's probably like up there in all the most fantastic feelings, emotions, accomplishments, and successes in life. If you've never had the joy of saying to somebody, hey, would you like to pray this prayer with me right now? And them look at you and say, yeah, I would. And then most of the time, whenever this happens to me, I go, Really? You want to? Like, for sure. Like, let me ask you one more time. You know what this means. And I'm I'm always certain to clarify what someone's doing when we pray this prayer. And when they say, Yeah, I really want to ask Jesus into my life. After that prayer is over and I look them in their eyes. This has happened so often. Where you see that the burden is off. You see the the peace that's in. You see the sense of wonder at what's next. And you pat your hand on their back and say, Welcome to the family of God. You're now in the family of faith. There's nothing like that. I want every one of you to have that experience. At least once in your life. Why the winky-dink, Bob? Because if you have that experience once in your life, you won't be settled with having that experience once in your life. If you have that experience once in your life, you're going to go, Where's a heathen? I've got to find a heathen today. <laughs> There's got to be a heathen someplace, man. I got I got to. I gotta reason with them. I need to relate to them. I need you and you'll go through all those R letter words and when you're done, you won't just rest in some mocked and some waited and some followed. No, you'll rest and that at least one of them, every once in a while, said, Yeah, pray for me. I want to know the Lord. I'm ready to make God my maker. I'm ready to make Jesus my Savior. I'm ready for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to know you better. And as we come to a close, even in this atmosphere, your church, with the other churches online, with the internet watching, and with the radio listening, we just pray that today, God, the gospel goes forth. You love us so much. It amazes me. But that you through the prophet Isaiah said, let's reason, let's talk this through. Come on, let's have a conversation on this. Your sins are red as scarlet. I will make them white as snow. If you're willing, you can enjoy the fat of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. God, I know that that reference was not intended to scare us into the kingdom. But it was intended to stir us into faith. Because you, mighty God, are willing to reason with us today. God, help us think through where we are, where we want to be, and help us to make the wise choice. No longer worshipping idols, instead choosing to worship the true and living God. We give you thanks today for gifting us the ability and capacity to receive and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? And you say, Bob, you took them right to that place and now you're going to leave them? No, 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 no. If you are in the place today where you say, you know what? I do want to believe. I want to follow. I want to accept Christ as my Savior. I want eternal life. Well, when this song comes to the close, there will be... Folks from our fellowship on both sides of this platform, and here's what I want you to do. Today, in light of the reference, in light of the Spirit, in light of the Word, I want you to actually go against the flow as people dismiss. Come forward, stand here, and say to whoever it is, the Spirit prompts you to say this to, you say this, Today, I'd like to give my life to Christ. Today, I'd like to get right with God. Today, I'd like to have my sins forgiven. Now, They'll know, once you open your mouth, where you're going with this. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Let's clear up the confusion that lies between whether you are or whether you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and whether you are or whether you're not on your way to heaven. Amen? Amen? Amen. Pastor Clay, if you close this in song, when the song comes to a close, if you're interested, come forward. Open your heart. Say yes.
1: prayer counseling. Good night, everyone.